It's Monday, and that can only mean one thing. It's time for a mailbag here on Locked On Sox. You are Locked On White Sox, your daily Chicago White Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Sox. I'm your host, Sean Anderson. If you're listening to me the first time, thank you so much for making me a part of your day. And to those who make Locked On Sox your first listen every day, thank you very much. We are free and available on all platforms, like Twitter and Instagram. You can follow us at Lockdown Sox on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. First off, it's Monday, December 13th, 2021. Got to get into the rhythm. Second week hosting the podcast. A lot of great feedback in the first week. I'm very, very happy with uh, the response that I've been getting. Thank you so much to everybody who reached out. It's really cool to have people that listen and then listen and then actually want to reach out after. You know, uh, there's a stat, I think, in radio that 98% of people listen to radio broadcast without participating, like calling in. Uh, 98% of people will listen to the radio without ever calling in. So participation is not only kind of surprised, but it's also welcomed and encouraged. So please keep uh, participating. Please contact us at LockdownSocks at gmail.com. You could also call us in uh, 312-566-8727. I want to meet more of you. Let's build up a universe. We got another return caller and Alex who's going to be on the show tomorrow. Let's preview the show. Let's also wish happy birthday to Taylor Swift. My girlfriend would be upset if I didn't. So shout out to Taylor Swift. She was my most listened to artist uh, from Spotify in 2021. So uh, big, big ups to Taylor. But we're going to open up the mailbag today. We have fans starting lineups. We also have my thoughts on Tony LaRussa as the Sox manager. Someone wasn't okay with the comments I made, and I'll I'll clarify them a little bit. And then finally, we're going to have some more second base trade options. Some guys that were on my list and some guys that might be difficult to acquire uh, due to trade. So we'll talk about that in this episode of Lockdown Sox. Part two comes out tomorrow, and I want you guys to call in or get your thoughts in to LockdownSox at gmail.com or call in at 312 566-8727. 566-8727. Alex from Bolingbrook had a great question, and I want to get your thoughts on players you wish were White Sox. And I know this can go a couple different ways, so I'm going to give you some guidelines. Give me one player that you wish played in a White Sox uniform at some point in their career, and I'd like you to try to make it more of a fantasy idea rather than a what if. You know, like a what if I would say, well, what if the White Sox gave Manny Machado 25 more million and he was playing third base or shortstop whatever for the White Sox right now. Let's avoid rehashing the the mistakes of, of White Sox of old. Uh, that's for what that's what White Sox therapy is for, right? If, if you are traumatized or you have some some real deep dark thoughts about Manny Machado or Fernando Tatis or Marcus Simeon and the fact that they're not in the White Sox, that's what White Sox therapy is for. Call in, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to you. This is a, this is an open and safe space. I'm going to try to be open and honest with you with my thoughts on the White Sox. Call in with the guys that you wish were White Sox. Like Cherizi from the 108, he wrote uh, back in 2016 that he's the jerk that wants someone, uh, the, the Sox to sign A-Rod. That was back in August 9th, 2016. I also was the jerk that wanted the Sox to sign A-Rod and have him hit his seventh home run in a White Sox uniform. 
Uh, but call us in. I'd really be interested to see if you guys have any out-of-the-box things, and especially you older fans. Uh, if, if there's anything back in the 90s, like some crazy thing where you heard a rumor that, mm, I don't know, mm, Pete Rose was going to sign with the White Sox in 1981 or whatever, right? If, if you know anything like that or have any memories of that, call in 312-566-8727. Let's open up the mailbag. Hey, Sean, Mark in Litchfield Park. On the 47-man guys that played for the Sox in 2021, I had everybody except Stever, McCray, and Jose Ruiz because I want to forget Jose Ruiz. On the all-time Sox, I got Carlton Fisk catching, Paul Canerico at first, George Orta at second, T.A. at short, Robin Ventura at third, Tim Raines in left, Aaron Rowan in center, Harold Baines in right, and Frank Thomas at the D.H., now, I'm talking about all these guys in their prime, you know, back when Baines could still field before he got hurt. He was a hell of a player before he got hurt. As far as rotation goes, Chris Sale, Mark Burley, Blackjack McDowell, Wilbur Wood, and Jose Contreras, again, in his prime. He had that great uh, 18-month span. The guy was just amazing. And for a closer, Goose Gossage, because when I was a kid, that guy was just amazing like flames coming off the ball when he was out there on the mound. Yeah, great memories of watching him pitch at Old Comiskey Park. So that's what I got. Thanks. Thank you, Mark, in Litchfield Park, always starting us off strong as always. And thanks for taking the quiz. Glad to hear you did better than me. I feel like I should have done better on that quiz, but I'm not going to beat myself up too much. I, I want to do more Friday fun stuff, and I'm glad that someone uh, participated in the quiz. And, and I know there was Lenny as well. Uh, that, that, that that like that mentioned he was listening to the quiz. So uh, shout out to uh, you guys. Uh, appreciate that. I know it might be a, a weird segment because you can't see anything, uh, and I'm just naming players. So if, if it didn't work out, you know, let me know if you didn't like it. Uh, but thank you, Mark, for taking the quiz. Jose Ariz is all right. I mean, I just don't like him being the second most used reliever in the Sox pen. And I have no issues with Jose Ruiz. He's a fine, like, last reliever in a pen. I just don't like that he was being used uh, basically the same amount as Michael Kopech. I'd like to see that change. And I, it's interesting you mentioned Harold Baines uh, being hurt. I think that's kind of similar to me with Frank. Like everyone talks about Frank being the MVP and one of the best hitters in baseball. I know I think through his first eight years, uh, he has the same uh, weighted runs created plus as Mike Trout, right? Two great players right there. Shows you how good Frank Thomas was. But when Frank Thomas was playing, when I was around, he was slowed down. He had all the injuries, right? 2005, he, he wasn't around on that team often. Carl Everett was more of the DH than Frank Thomas. I missed prime Frank Thomas. I think I said on an episode recently that I, I remember A's or Blue Jays, Frank Thomas more than actual White Sox, Frank Thomas. So it, it's interesting about Baines, uh, especially the clarification that these guys need to be in their prime. I also need to learn more about Jorge Orta. Uh, I did learn that from 1974 to 1977, over those four seasons, he had over 650 hits. Pretty awesome. High batting average guy, seemed like a low walk guy. You know, he could hit 30 doubles, but not a lot of pop in Jorge Ortz's bat. Also, you mentioned Goose Gossage. He had a profanity-laden uh, interview with Goose Scott, or with uh, Bruce Levine and David Haw on Inside the Clubhouse this past Saturday. So if you want to hear Goose Gossage just swear on the radio... Go check out that podcast. And the 18th month stretch that you mentioned for Jose Contreras, from April 2005 to August 11th, 2006, 58 games, 389 innings pitched, 
three ERA. And uh, I love the postseason stats for the White Sox rotation. All of those guys have some crazy stat uh, out there from that postseason. And uh, he limited base runners uh, like no one else could. He had two walks in 32 innings uh, in the 2005 postseason. I mean, that's how you're going to get it done. Uh, and and Jose Contreras was such an important player on those that, that championship team and also in 2006. So shout out to Jose Contreras. We're going to go next to the 309. And Melissa rode in with her starting lineup. And we're going to start off like Mark in Litchfield Park. And she has Carlton Fisk as the catcher. Before we get too far, I do want to shout out my grandma who is listening and has listened and says she's listening to every episode. Hit me up on the Facebook Messenger about it. And uh, Carlton Fisk was someone that she, uh, when she came over from Ireland, uh, she was cleaning houses and she'd go out to Lockport and she'd clean Carlton Fisk's house. So shout out to Carlton Fisk. He's I and I'm somewhat connected to him. My grandma has been in his house. So yeah, that's more than a lot of people can say. Some people have never met Carlton Fisk. I've never met Carlton Fisk, but my grandma met Carlton Fisk and was in his house in 1980. It's pretty cool, right? Uh, she had Frank Thomas at first base. Best White Sox player I've seen in my life. I just mentioned it. I, I, you know, it's I, I missed him. I, I, it sucks. I, I watched the, the highlights. I see the home run derby, him in Three River Stadium hitting bombs in Pittsburgh, but I missed the true Frank Thomas experience. And she mentions that Luis Robert has the ability to be even better than the Big Hurt. I agree with you, Melissa. At second base, she has Julio Cruz. I didn't know much about Julio Cruz. Uh, she mentioned his acrobatic plays at second base. And I found this from the Dallas Morning News. Photographer Luis DeLuca was looking back in his career. And in 1983, he took a photo of the uh, White Sox Baltimore ALCS series. And it's a, it's a photo of Julio Cruz doing a handstand. And it's it's a great photo. And uh, the, what Luis said about it was he, he looked at it and his reaction was, I took that. So pretty cool. And, uh, you know, a, a very athletic second baseman that I don't know much about. So thank you, Melissa, for informing me about Julio Cruz. She's got TA at shortstop. She was at the Field of Dreams game and we'll never forget that home run. I don't think any of us will. And I can't imagine what the real life experience was like. I, I never shut up about the Mark Burley perfect game experience. And I, I can't imagine that you'll never shut I, I can imagine that you'll never shut up about the field of dreams experience because baseball is magical, makes you feel some certain way and being there and experiencing it really is unlike anything else that, that you can experience. It's, it's being at a baseball game and experiencing a historic moment is way better than watching it on TV. I could tell you that watching a perfect game, uh, on, on a TV is nothing like being at the actual game. So, you know, if you if you if you can, I would suggest that you attend a perfect game sometime in your life. You know, probably an easy feat uh, to, to, to come by. I think there's only been 27 in Major League history. You'll be fine. Next up, third base. Melissa's got Robin Ventura, another guy I missed, but he's fifth in war all time, I think, for the White Sox. So, I mean, Robin is, you know, I, I know, I know Rob, manager Robin more, but I think we can all say, and Melissa can say that player Robin was way better than manager Robin. Out in left field, she's got Aloy Jimenez. I love me some Eloy. His personality and Bruce's strength are incredible. I agree there. Center field, Aaron Rowan, just like Mark in Litchfield Park, watching him sacrifice his body daily. 
uh, nothing uh, beats a, a center fielder who, who wants to put it all on the line. I mean, that's why Kevin Pillar uh, is, is such a fun guy to watch uh, in, in center field when he was in Toronto. And I have no idea where he is now. Maybe maybe Boston, something like that. Right field, Harold Baines, just like Mark in Litchfield Park, favorite player as a kid, was devastated when he was traded. Uh, and Harold was a silent leader who could just hit the ball in clutch situations. I, I mentioned I was watching the 1983 Winning Ugly documentary, and it opens with Harold Baines hitting a clutch sacrifice fly. Uh, so, I mean, I was introduced to that, at least uh, recently. Uh, DH, Jim Tomey from being from Central Illinois. Big Jim is a big deal, and he should be. He's awesome, does great work in the community. Uh, Jim Tomey's great. Starting five, Mark Burley, Blackjack McDowell, Luis Giolito, Tom Seaver, and Lamar Hoyt. Uh, I, I Melissa clarifies the Tom Seaver uh, selection by saying because he's Tom Seaver, and I'd agree. You know, not not the best White Sox career. Uh, definitely was better in a Met uniform, but Tom Seaver, uh, just like Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, if people are putting Ken Griffey Jr. in the White Sox outfield, uh, and you're getting prime Kevin Griffey Jr., not prime White Sox Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, you'll be getting one hell of a player there. And for the closer, uh, Melissa took uh, Bobby Thigpen, uh, who again, another guy who I missed, but those 57 saves in uh, 1990, uh, she says that we're thrilling to watch. So thank you for Melissa for sending in your starting lineup and starting rotation. Next up on Locked on Sox, we're going to be talking about Tony La Russa as the White Sox manager. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows in all one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. I drove home as fast as I could. All right, who's spanking Tony? Who's doing it? What's his What's his consequence? Right, your mean makes a mistake and he gets spanked. He gets consequences with the family. Right? What's Tony's consequences? Who's gonna go after and tell him that he just made the same mistake he made on Friday? This is getting absurd. This is a team that is in first place, but this is not a team that's gonna win World Series when their manager keeps pulling like this. Friday, Evan Marshall gets left in three straight hits he allows and he's saving Hendricks for the 10th. You're doing the same today and you only put him in with bases loaded and Aaron Judge at the plate? What is this guy's problem? Yeah, so that was my best moment. That was May 23rd, 2021 after the White Sox lost to the New York Yankees 5-4 to at Yankee Stadium. That was the game on Sunday uh, of May 23rd, if you remember, uh, where Andrew Vaughn took a pitch from Aroldis Chapman to right field. It's like a 101 mile per hour pitch, uh, low and away. He took it to right center field. It was one of the greatest home runs I've ever seen in my life. Uh, not really, but the power was phenomenal uh, from Andrew Vaughn on display in that at bat. And I was so upset to see Tony La Russa in a very similar situation to Friday's game, which was May 21st, um, leave in a pitcher. On Friday, it was Evan Marshall. On that Sunday, it was Aaron Bummer. 
too long and then bringing Liam Hendricks in a position where the inning wasn't clean. I blew up. I wasn't happy. And throughout 2021, my feelings of Tony started off really strong as a hatred. I did not like Tony to start off the season. I thought that Jerry handpicked him. And I thought that Rick Hahn's ability as GM was being overstepped. I really didn't think that he was going to connect with the locker room. And I didn't think that he would be doing, uh, I didn't think he would, he would do a good job as a White Sox manager in 2021. And really, I mean, if you asked me at the start of June, I probably would have said that I would like Tony Lewis to be fired. So I think it's good background to have that. I was joking about the uh, upcoming voicemail uh, that I'm about to read, but I do want to say that I do think it's true. I think that managers nowadays, they have three major assignments. And yes, they have to manage the locker room, but also these guys are professionals being paid millions of dollars. You have to make sure that they're showing up on time and that they're getting along with their fellow fellow players. I don't think it would take a genius to figure that out. Um, but it was more of a joke when I said that, you know, I used to go to games and look out and be like, hey, I could be the bat boy. And now I look out and say, hey, I could be the manager. Um, I just find it funny that manager, when I was growing up, looking at the bat boy being like, hey, I could do that job. Um, I, I do see them on on similar levels now uh, in, a, in a somewhat joking way, just because I think the managerial power and the managerial stature has been stripped down so much. And that's just natural progression of baseball. But let's get into the first message. Matt from Oakland says, I don't think managing is easy nowadays, and I don't think anyone can manage the Sox like you said in Thursday's episode. If it weren't for Tony, there's no way the Sox make the playoffs last year. I'm in the middle of reading the book One Last Strike, which is Tony LaRusse's book on the 2011 Cardinals season. There's a lot more to managing than one may think, and Tony being the third most winningest manager ever, I'd like to think he would be better than any of us fans managing. There's so much, but for example, Tony just knowing how to keep the chemistry strong, which is a big one, within the clubhouse is just one of those thousands of aspects of a baseball manager's job. As even Tony says, it's a players and fans game. Still, the manager is vitally important. Anyways, may peace be with you, Matt from Oaklawn. First off, big shout outs to Oaklawn. A lot of great sightseeing in Oaklawn. You could see the Hilton on 95th. That thing's pretty cool. You could go see the Fountain on 111th in Cicero. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? We got a new uh, uh, oil change station on like 109th. It takes five minutes to get your oil changed, right? You know, a lot of cool stuff to do in Oaklawn. Shout out to the 708. But the first thing I want to say is Matt is free to have his opinion, and I'm very glad that he wrote in. What makes this podcast good is dissenting opinions. If I'm just giving my opinion over and over again, it's going to get boring. It's the reason why we're going to have guests on. We're going to have different voices on. Herb and Tanny worked so much because they're dissenting uh, opinions and, and their chemistry, right? Um, so having dissenting opinions is good. I'm glad that you think that Tony did a good job. I'm glad that you think managers are important. Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Baseball will be played. If I think that managers do not matter and Matt thinks managers do matter, no matter what, 162 games plus playoffs will be played in the MLB, right? It, it, it's, it's an argument for our entertainment. It's an argument to discuss the game that we love. And I, I love having these conversations. And like I said earlier, 
I didn't really love Tony when he started out. And and in June, uh, I would have said that I think that him being fired would be, would be best for the club. I disagree with you that I think that in the words that you used, and I don't want to misquote you or anything like that, you said that if it weren't for Tony, there's no way the Sox make the playoffs last year. I have to disagree with you. If the White Sox had Rick Renteria, they would have made the playoffs. It was basically the same team. They got better pitching, worse home run performance, worse offensive and slugging output. But at the end of the day, Rick Renteria is not making different decisions. That does not make the Sox the AL Central champions. There was too much talent on that team for the White Sox not to win the AL Central. I could have been the manager and got them to at least 88 wins. I cannot mince my words on that. I don't think that baseball today is a difficult game to manage. And I think that one thing Tony La Russa showed a hesitancy to was the thing that I blew up on on May 23rd. And when Tanny was first introducing me and Herb were first introducing me as the host, they described me as hot-headed. And honestly, I didn't really, I didn't really agree with that. Um, now going back and watching my car rant from May 23rd, yeah, a little bit hot-headed. Um, and it wasn't the right reaction to be saying that I think Tony should be fired by June. I look back at this season, and I think Tony did a fine job. I don't think that Tony moved the needle. Tony was brought in to help guide this team to a World Series. Looking at that round of the playoffs against the Astros, I don't think he is bringing this team closer to the World Series. He looked behind. He looked like the game passed him by. It looked like he wasn't in the game for 10 years. The Astros were more prepared. The Astros were ready to play. I don't think the White Sox were. And Lucas Giolito mentioned this on 670 The Score back in November, that the team and the organization, fans, players, managers, front office, I don't know about the fans, he didn't say the fans, but players, managers, front office, all need to be better prepared for the playoffs. It's true. The White Sox were not ready to play the Astros last year. The Astros were determined. They were focused. They had a great game plan and they went out and executed it. The White Sox didn't. That's on Tony La Russa. And something else that's on Tony La Russa, I didn't love the way that he was managing the bullpen uh, in, in May and he did it every now and then throughout the season. It seemed like He would try to use Liam Hendricks in the perfect spot. It seemed like he was really unwilling to use Liam Hendricks in anything, but here you're coming in in the ninth inning for the save. Go get it done, Liam, right? Or or you're going to come in and try to bail us out of this tense scenario like he did in, in that Yankee game that I blew up about on the 23rd. He came in to face Aaron Judge with the bases loaded after Aaron Bummer couldn't get out of the inning, and then he ended up walking him on five pitches. Hendricks walks, Judge on five pitches, game over, Yankees win 5-4, right? I mean, he, he, he was able to throw five pitches, and the game was over at that point. He didn't have a chance to battle and maybe lose a guy and then strike out and get the next two. He didn't put Liam Hendricks in the best scenario, and I felt like he did that quite often. Obviously, he put Liam Hendricks on second base at one point during the Reds. A little bit different, but I, I do worry that at sometimes Tony doesn't have the same drive that he did when he was managing this team in 1983. He was the youngest manager when he was hired in 1979, and now he's the oldest. I, I don't think that most people that I know, especially when they get to certain ages, are still the most hungry and driven people that they can be. Tony La Russa has won 33 World Series. Tony La Russa is the third most winningest manager in baseball history. I, I, I don't know what that guy 
has left to accomplish. He's a Hall of Famer baseball person. And I worry that his lack of, I would say, and I don't want to be rude about this because he is still out there. He's still giving it all his all. I didn't think that Tony wasn't trying. And I do think that Tony did a better job as the season progressed. Um, but I, I, I do wonder that, you know, how, how much is that fire burning inside Tony to go and get a fourth? I think he wants to, but how much is he truly, you know, passioned to go and, and, and win a fourth World Series? At age 76, I don't think it's that strong. I, I don't know what 76-year-olds think about. As a 25-year-old, I think I'm probably ready to go out there and, and, and manage for 162 games uh, more than a 76-year-old is. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, I do a better job than Tony La Russa, but I do think that the, the basic decisions of setting lineups, managing the bullpen and managing shifts, like, I mean, that's that's the basis of being a manager in 2021. You have to maintain the locker room, but I think anyone on the outside looking in can look at the White Sox locker room and think that they can manage themselves. You have Jose Abreu, and I honestly think that's enough. All the Cuban guys players will, will shut up and listen to Jose Abreu. They've talked about that. Yasmani Grandal said when he was when he came over, he's coming over to win a World Series for Jose Abreu. Tim Anderson's a fa- fantastic leader. I mean, I, I don't think it would be that cut and dry like Tim and Jose, you run the clubhouse, but I don't think it would be that far off. These guys have proven that they're professionals, that they get along, and that they can go throughout a season without killing each other. So I, I look at Tony Larusa and... It was a joke about managers being like bat boys, but I honestly don't think it's too far off. So that was the point I was making. I, I don't think Tony La Russa or any manager truly moves the needle for any baseball team. And I'll give you an example when they can or when they when they guess they can't is I think Tony hurt the team this year with their shift percentage. I've been vocal about this on the on, on the podcast. And one example to show you where a manager can help his team, just look at Brian Snicker of the Atlanta Braves from 2019 to 2020. They had some of the lowest shift percentages in the MLB. This team was basically at 500 and at June, they start shifting more over 50% of the time. And not only just shifting helped them win the world series, but an aggressive trade deadline uh, also, also led to this, but this team, because of managerial decisions of being more aggressive and, and shifting more often and trying to put his defenders in the best position every 27 batters or every nine frames, right? That is going to help you win more games. And I just don't think that Tony is in the mindset of we need to win every at bat and help our win probability every single inning, every single at bat, every single pitch. I think that he's looking at it like he's always looked at baseball, like he's looking at 2011 baseball. And you look at that, you know, Brian never won a World Series. Brian was a manager for such a long time, minor leagues, major leagues, never won a World Series. And of course, he's going to change it up. Of course, he's going to do whatever it can for his team to win the World Series. Because at the end of the day, you have to win it in your style. But the only way to win one is to win one, right? Tony won three World Series in his style. He's going to try to win a fourth World Series in his style. Brian Snicker had to find the way to win a World Series. And in 2021, defensive shifting was a part of that. I don't think that realization is coming to Tony DeLarusso's door anytime soon. But this is where the whole discussion gets muddied is, you know, I, I'm trying to say managers don't matter. And Matt ends off the email by saying 
managers are still vitally important. Well, I'm now making an example and using the example of Brian Snicker saying, well, he changed his shift percentages, his team wins the World Series. Some people might see that point helping the managers do matter side, but I just look at that and say, I'm sitting in a closet right now, just on baseball savant, telling you that the White Sox need to shift more. Plain and simple. I don't think that the manager's job is too tough here in 2021. Next on Locked on Sox, we'll look at some second baseman that the White Sox could possibly trade for. This holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar or even better than a candy bar. Built Bar, filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered with chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat. And they're high in protein. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. I know Lockdown Sox listeners know Built Bar from Tanny and Herb's relationship with them. I know I know Built Bar from my relationship with Tanny and Herb. I show up to work at the 670 The Score Studios, and in every drawer, there's probably a loose Built Bar. I know Tanny and Herb were always bringing Built Bars around. I've seen every flavor, raspberry, mint brownie, cherry, double chocolate, cookies and cream, peanut butter brownie. Tanny wouldn't stop talking about his favorite flavor, the German chocolate cake. Because it gave him the extra fuel he needed to get through the day. So this holiday season, stock your stuffings with a few Built Bars. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. Again, go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. BetOnline has you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website at betonline.ag to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKED ON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. 312-566-8727. That's where you can leave your voicemail for tomorrow's mailbag. We are looking for you to call in for players you wish were White Sox. Not looking for players that should have been, like Manny Machado, Fernando Testis Jr., Marcus Simeon. But if you heard a rumor that David Ortiz was supposed to be in a trade in, in 2008 for the White Sox, and you want to mention that, call in. 312 566 8727. We got one more final mail question, and it comes from two people. We got Joshua Bear and we got Adam Garcia. Adam's writing in wondering about a Glabar Torres trade, and Josh Bear is calling in for Cattell Marte. And I, I'm going to simplify these and, and, and more just take it at the two players and address the, the trade right now, the, the trade possibility for the White Sox. Obviously, we're in a lockout right now. And things can't happen. There's some minor league deals that we'll talk about, I think, on Wednesday or, 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 or Thursday. I'm looking to have a guest on to talk about some of the minor league deals and some of the uh, prospect stuff that is going on with the White Sox. And we'll get you more informed on that soon. But to at least talk about the trades, the issue with the White Sox and trading right now is exactly what you saw at the trade deadline. You had to give up big pieces. I don't think fans were expecting them to move Nick Madrigal for just a closer. I, I was fairly shocked that 
Cody Hoyer and Nick Madrigal was the package to get Craig Kimbrell. You look at the offseason rumors before this season, there was rumors that the White Sox were going to trade Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer for Corbin Burns. It was before the 2021 season. And now you look after the 2021 season and Corbin Burns is the NL Cy Young winner and Craig Kimbrell is in limbo. And obviously, going back on it, if the White Sox could redo it, they'd probably want Corbin Burns over Craig Kimbrell, but that's the nature and that's that's what trading is about is you know right time, right place, and making sure that you make the right deal. And to make the right deal, teams need to be able to be getting the right things back. The White Sox don't have anything that they can really offer. People are throwing out, you know, Craig Kimbrell and Jake Berger, and you can mix, you know, Michael Aldolfo and Jonathan Stever in to get Cattell Marte. I, I just have to ask you, like, what is Arizona going to do with Craig Kimbrell? Probably nothing. A team sucks. They're going to have $16 million more on their cap. I don't think they're looking to do that, right? The White Sox just don't have good trade pieces. Their best trade pieces and some of their better trade pieces are gone. Connor Pilkington, Nick Madrigal, Cody Hoyer. If you're going to want to go out and get one of those big pieces like Glabar Torres and Cattell Marte, you're going to have to start talking about Andrew Vaughn. You're going to have to start talking about Garrett Crochet. And right now, I'm not ready to do that. I don't think that Cattell Marte is immediately going to put them over the top. And it is adding more talent to the team. And I think it would be hypocritical for me to not realize that. I mentioned that this team needs talent and not more defensive help specifically or more power help, right? I think that Kyle Schwarber is the best addition to the White Sox this offseason because he has the most talent. And Cattell Marte is extremely talented. But to look at Cattell Marte, a guy that is aging, dealing with a lot of injury issues, you might get a great player in 2022. But for 2023, 2024, 2025, when the White Sox window will still be open, guys like Andrew Vaughn might be more valuable. And I don't think the White Sox right now want to take the risk of trading Andrew Vaughn for a guy like Cattell Marte, who could be out for all of 2022 if he you know, makes the wrong step in the outfield or makes the wrong step at second base. I just, I, Cattell Marte seems like a really, really tough person to trade for. It has to be the right stuff. I don't think the White Sox have the right stuff. And it also has to be perfect. You can't get screwed. You know, if you get rid of Andrew Vaughn, it can't just be another, oh, well, you know, we'll just try to move on from Craig Kimbrell at the end of the season. If you make a trade, it needs to hit. You need to get the guy. And I'm worried about Cattell Marte being the guy. I'm less worried about Glaber Torres being the guy, right? Glaber Torres, we know the pedigree as a prospect. We've seen him in, in seasons before burst onto the scene as a young, phenomenal second baseman. But 2021 comes around. He has a down season. And now with DJ LeMahieu in the infield and you have Gio Urshela in the infield and there's talks of Carlos Correa going to the Yankees, it's a crowded infield. Gleyber Torres might not have a spot. But I really ask you, if you're the Yankees, if you're Brian Cashman and you're looking at your infield and you sign Carlos Correa, you're obviously keeping Carlos Correa on the, in the infield. Are you really going to look at that 
and you're going to see DJ LeMahieu, Gio Urshela, and Gliber Torres and say the odd man out is Gliber Torres, I just don't see that happening. I don't see the Yankees moving away from Gliber Torres. Is it a fun name? Is it an exciting name to talk about? Is it a fun thing to tuck under your pillow a little Gliber Torres baseball card and think, oh, what a White Sox that would be. What a great thing I could go and rub in the face of my Cub friends. Absolutely. I love the idea. I love the idea of more uh, adding more talent, but this team will not get anywhere unless they go out. And I think I'm really convinced at this point they need to go out and trade when the lockout is over Craig Kimbrell for more prospects. They need more ammo to go get a guy in a trade. Right now, I just don't think they're in the position to go get a guy like Marte or a guy like Gliber Torres. Thank you for listening to Lockdown White Sox. We have a mailbag episode tomorrow. We appreciate all of you that make Lockdown White Sox your first listen every day. Again, tomorrow, part two of the mailbag, we'll be talking about what if White Sox call in 312-566-8727 with guys that you wish were White Sox at some point in their career. Now make your second listen, Lockdown Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Lockdown Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. I'll talk to you tomorrow on Lockdown Socks.